0: Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good
1: morning. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, delighted to continue this series uh, called Roots with you this morning. Uh, this idea of roots is that we're laying down roots of faithfulness, uh, roots of of trusting God, roots of generosity, roots of ownership, roots of love these these roots that will last uh, beyond us, that we 'll be able to hand to the next generation. Our hope is that we would be a church, and that this uh, land next door would be an outpost for the gospel for generations to come and so in this series what we 're doing is we 're talking uh, not just about the land we 're talking about the kind of character that we want to develop as the people of God who are going to leave a legacy who are going to be able to pass it on. And so that's what we're looking at each particular week. You know, I was reading this week in uh, the Bible, uh, reading in the Gospels and listening to some sermons uh, uh, by some other preachers that I like to listen to and, uh, about Jesus. Uh, so I just kind of reading and listening and just kind of wa- trying to watch Jesus. There's no one like him. You know, if you ever, if you ever get a chance to read the Bible, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read about Jesus or hear about Jesus, he is brilliant. I mean, there's a reason why when people encounter Jesus, they say things like, this guy's teaching with authority that the scribes and Pharisees don't have. Like, like they're giving us kind of secondhand stuff. This is the source. There's a reason why when people encounter him, they go, no one spoke like this man. All right, the Pharisees come and they try to trap him and they walk away scratching their heads and uh, the, the marginalized and the poor and the broken people come and they can't believe that he's so loving to them and he's just, he's just constantly kind of breaking all these paradigms. And one of the things that I've noticed about Jesus that sets him apart from what we would see in modern religion as well as what even existed in his day with the religious leaders of his day is that Jesus always is going after the heart. Most religions and the religions of Jesus' day and even the religions today, there's a lot of discussion about externals. There's a lot of discussion about behaviors. There's a lot of discussion about what you know or all these things you need to go do. But Jesus, before he addresses the head and what you need to know and before he addresses the hands of what you should do, he's always speaking to the heart. It's always for Jesus getting back to the motive. What's driving you? What's going on inside? What is really ticking? Because Jesus knows that whatever happens in your heart is going to lead you in some other directions. And specifically, one of the things that has been just really interesting to watch is how often Jesus, in trying to tackle the issues of the heart, deals with it through the lens of money. So much of Jesus' teaching relates to money, relates to property, relates to stuff, so much of it. So much so that in his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about that you can't serve both God and money, because Jesus knows that one of the main competitors for our hearts is money. It's our treasure. It's our stuff. And so Jesus is constantly going at our heart through money. So here's a couple things Jesus knew. Jesus knew, first of all, that money is like a spiritual thermometer. You know what a thermometer is. It just reads the temperature. It's never quite that low here in Arizona. Um, Wouldn't that be something if it was sometime? Maybe Celsius, I guess. Um, But a a, a, a thermometer just reads the temperature, just tells you this is how hot it is, this is how cold it is. And Jesus knew that money was a spiritual thermometer. Money was a spiritual thermometer of the heart, There's an incident when a man, Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, he's been ripping everybody off, extorting all these people, and uh, Jesus says, I'm going to your house for dinner, and they have this incredible encounter, and Zacchaeus' life is is transformed on the spot with Jesus, and and Jesus knows it because Zacchaeus stands up and says, from now on, I'm giving half of everything I make uh, away, and if I've done any wrong or or ripped anybody off, I'm going to pay it back fourfold. You know what Jesus responds? He says, Today, salvation has come to this house. Now now get this. Jesus wasn't saying that if you give your stuff away, you earn salvation. Jesus was saying, I can tell salvation has already come because of the heart change in Zacchaeus. The guy who loves stuff, the guy who was greedy, the guy who was ripping people off for money is now eager to give it away. I can tell. I can read the spiritual thermometer of his heart and go, something's changed. But listen... Jesus said that money was not just a spiritual thermometer of the heart, it was also a spiritual thermostat. See, a thermometer just tells you what the temperature is. A thermostat changes the temperature, right? You, you have one of these uh, thermostats, maybe yours is digital, right? But, but you, you turn it, you, you set it, you go, this is the temperature I want it to be. And Jesus knew that money could not only function as a thermometer, but also as a thermostat. That for those people who say, I want to trust God more, I want to lean into God more, that money is actually a way to do that. Here's what Jesus said in that same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice again, Jesus talking about the heart. Jesus doesn't need your stuff. Jesus wants your heart. And Jesus, get the order here, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want your heart to be more trusting in God, more hopeful in God, more dependent on God, Jesus says one of the ways to do that is to move your treasure in that direction, to set your resources in that direction. Here's another way that we might say it, is your treasure drives your heart and your trust. Your treasure drives your your trust. We talked last week about trust, that God wants us to trust him, that trust is the currency of every great relationship. And therefore, your treasure drives your trust. So today as we look at this issue of money, as we look at this issue of generosity, what this is about, and get this, this is really key. What this is about is becoming people who demonstrate and who grow in our trust of God through our generosity. Now, the context of this particular message is very clearly and very obviously as part of this Roots project. So we're in the process of raising money to to be able to pay for the land that we're going to own next door, and and you've heard about that, hopefully. If you haven't, you will by the end of today. That's the context that we're having this kind of discussion in. But, But here's what I want you to see, is this issue of generosity is way bigger and has much more to do than, than, just, than just that project. This is about a way of life. This is about becoming people who leave a legacy by being generous with our time and our talents and our resources. This is about a way of life. And I would so love for all of us to begin to live lives of generosity all the time. For sure during these four weeks, all the time. as a way of life. So what I want to do is I want to turn to a passage that tells us a great deal about generosity. And hopefully you're already there from what we read earlier. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, one commentator said, provides the richest, most detailed model of Christian generosity in the New Testament. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, the church in Corinth has struggled with a lot of different things, but but Paul's writing them on a number of topics. And in chapter eight, uh, Paul brings up to them uh, a collection that he's taking for the Christians that are in Jerusalem. At this point uh, in Jerusalem, there had been a famine, there had been a big economic downturn, a uh, great deal of persecution. And the Christians there were struggling to make ends meet. And so Paul, traveling around the rest of that Mediterranean region, is collecting money to be able to take back to the saints, to the Christians in Jerusalem, to be able to relieve them and be able to do that. And so he's writing to the Corinthians, trying to enlist them to be part of this project, saying, hey, I want you to give over and above what you would normally do towards this special project. And and in order to do it, he, he tells us about the generosity of another group of churches in Macedonia. That would be kind of Greece. And so he's writing to the Corinthians saying, hey, let me tell you about how the churches in Macedonia have been involved to help the church in Jerusalem. So you tracking with that? And, and there's at least five lessons. There's a bunch more you could learn here, but, but five discoveries about generosity that we see in this particular passage. Um, here's the first one, is that generosity is dictated by your attitude not your circumstances. Look at verse one. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Interesting in verse 1 that he calls generosity the grace of God. We want you to know about the grace of God in these churches in Macedonia. Well, how do you know that they were generous? How do you know they experienced this grace? It's because generosity is dictated by their attitude, not their circumstances. Look at their circumstances in verse 2. First part, for in a severe test of affliction, a little bit later it says, their extreme poverty... So th- th- these churches in Macedonia, these are not wealthy people. These are not people with an overabundance of resources. These are not people who made so much money that they're trying to figure out some charitable thing to put it into so they can cover taxes this year. This is, this is like people hurting themselves, people in pain, people in difficult circumstances themselves. They're in a severe test of affliction. They're in extreme poverty. But there's another piece of this. See, there's a formula here that Paul almost lays out. You can see it here. Severe test of affliction plus their abundance of joy. See, what was present in the midst of their affliction, in the midst of their poverty, was an abundance of joy. Their joy was in the Lord. Their joy was in what God would do. So you have a severe test of affliction plus an abundance of joy plus extreme poverty. And what would you think that would equal? If you were just to look at that, what would that look like? You'd go, well, maybe that would be like what you experience when you go to a third world country, right? Or you talk to someone who does. They go on a mission trip or they travel or they go to Africa or they do something. What do they always say? It's amazing. Those people, they don't have anything, but they're so joyful And that in and of itself, you'd go, wow, that's, that's that's really great. Just that people could be joyful in the midst of difficult circumstances. But the Apostle Paul says something even bigger happened than that. It wasn't just that they were joyful in it. It was that this severe test of affliction, plus the abundance of joy, plus extreme poverty, equaled, has overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. That's interesting. These things overflowed into a wealth of generosity why were the macedonians able to overflow this this over and above thing even though they themselves were hurting even though they themselves were in severe affliction extreme poverty why because their attitude was one of an abundance of joy And so some of you, you're in a position, not just for this campaign, but as a way of life where you're going, well, I can't be very generous, I can't give very much, I don't make very much, I'm really afflicted, I'm in extreme poverty, I'm really struggling, and I don't doubt that any of those things are true, and I definitely don't doubt that they're really hard. But be encouraged. Here you have a model, here you have an example that says generosity is not dictated by your circumstances, it's dictated by your attitude in those circumstances. severe test of affliction plus abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity here's the second thing we learn is that generosity sometimes looks foolish generosity sometimes looks foolish look at verse 3 for they gave according to their means as i can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief Of the saints, did you see that? They gave according to their means. That's what you'd kind of expect, right? If if there's a need and someone says, "Hey, here's this need and this opportunity," would would you be able to give to it? What do you do? You go, "Okay, well, what are my means? Can I give according to that?" That's the first step. But then they take it another step. Do you see it in verse three? And beyond their means. Now, in your program here, we've put some discussion questions for you to use in your redemption communities this week or as a family. You can talk about these uh, over a meal sometime if you want, if, if this week. But one of the questions is, 2 Corinthians 8.3 says that the Macedonians gave beyond their means. What does that mean? And is that wise? Think about that. It seems to be saying that they gave money they didn't have. Well, how did that work? They gave beyond their means. They were willing to go into debt almost for themselves for the sake of helping others. Now, they didn't have credit cards, and there wasn't that whole system that way. So we don't, I mean, it'd be worth some discussion. What does that exactly mean? I'm not sure. But here's what I know. That really rubs up against our our feelings of going good stewardship, uh, being really conservative, give what you have, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of crazy, right? It reminds me a little bit of the time when Jesus sat down with his disciples, you can read about this in, in a number of the gospel accounts, and he sat down to watch what people would put in the offering box, which, I want to be like Jesus, but just so you feel good, I don't have any intention to pull up a chair next to the offering box and watch what everyone puts in, okay? Um, most of you give online, so I'd never get to see it anyway. Jesus would see that, though, in his Jesus way. But they didn't have online giving at the temple. And so Jesus pulls up a chair, and he watches what people give. And one of the things he sees is a widow, a poor widow, who gives the very last money she has. And he pulls aside the disciples. He says, guys, you got to see this. Because a lot of wealthy people came in, and they gave a lot of money, and they should. But this lady gave everything she has. She gave more than anyone." Percentage-wise, she gave it all. Now, I can imagine a lot of us, if, if someone in your RC came to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about giving everything away, we would try to talk them out of that, wouldn't we? Well, I don't know if that's wise. I don't know if that's a great idea. And it might not be a great idea. And Jesus doesn't tell everyone to give everything away. But what the principle is here is generosity sometimes, real generosity is not just sort of, I'll give you the scraps But sometimes it's so big and it's so costly that it makes you go, I can't believe that person did that. I can't believe I'm doing this. This is crazy. It's one of the marks of real generosity sometimes it looks foolish. Here's a third thing that we see in this passage. Generosity should be voluntary, not compulsory. Look at verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, All right? That means they wanted to. This was their initiative. They wanted to do that of their own accord. Verse 4, begging, excuse me, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They, they're going, Paul, Chris, probably Paul's going, guys, you don't have anything to give. I, I get it. Try to give what you can. But, and they're going, no, 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 no. We need to give, and we need to give a lot. They're begging him to be part of it. Right? This is voluntary. This is not compulsory. Same thing Paul says in verse 8. He says, he, he says this, I say this not as a command. I'm not telling you, Corinthians, that you have to give to this project. This is not a command. Right? Paul's an apostle. He could say, thus says the Lord, give to this project, but he doesn't. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. See, real generosity should be voluntary. When I think about how generously and how sacrificially you give to our ministry, it blows me away. Especially when I think about that it's all voluntary, right? We don't have a van that comes around to your house and picks it up. We don't have like a, hey, you know, here's your bill. Everything that's given is given voluntarily. It's given because you want to give it. That's amazing. Uh, Just on behalf of our elders, thank you for that. that. That blows me away. It's a huge privilege and responsibility to try to steward that well, because that's a big deal. And that's exactly how giving should be. All generosity. It shouldn't be, hey, how can we guilt people into doing these things? It's going, "Go, no, no. Give voluntarily, not under compulsion. Make up your own mind. Love that. Here's a fourth lesson about generosity from this passage, is that generosity is anchored in a commitment to the Lord first. Look at verse 5 they took part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. This is just a small point. We'll hit it quickly here, is that generosity is anchored in giving to the Lord first. Your giving is to the Lord. I hope you feel that. I hope you appreciate that. I hope you sense that when you give to this church, you're giving to God. Again, does God need money? No, he owns the th- uh, cattle on a thousand hills. But you're, you're giving it as an act of worship to him, as an act of service to him. Now, I hope you trust me. I hope you trust our leaders. I hope you trust the way we do things. I hope that that's true. But first and foremost, your trust is to be in God. I know some of you have had really bad experiences in other churches or growing up where financial things weren't handled well, and you lost a lot of trust. And if I were you, I would have lost trust too. And I just want to encourage you here, generosity is anchored in a commitment to the Lord. As leaders, as elders, we will give an account for how we steward the church's resources. And I don't think that's going to be like a breeze thing. Because if Jesus cares a lot about the heart, and he knows that money is an indicator of the heart, he's going to to care a lot And and as elders, we take that responsibility seriously. But here's the thing. You steward your resources. You're responsible for that. Once you give it, you've you've given it to the Lord. It's It's out of your hands. You don't need to worry at that point. You've honored the Lord Jesus, and then it's in our hands to go, we need to honor the Lord Jesus with those things. But it's anchored in a commitment to the Lord first. Here's the last thing, and this is the most important. The last thing is that generosity flows ultimately from the ultimate generosity of Jesus. Look at verse 8. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So, so, and then verse 9 is going to be the, the root statement. It, this is what he's building everything else on, is verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how generous Jesus was. You know His grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. That is an amazing summary of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing description of the good news of Christ. That Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, who had all riches, right? He had the power to speak and things came into existence. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything is his. That's rich. When you own it all, you're rich. And the scripture says that Jesus became poor. We, we, we notice this every time we celebrate Christmas, don't we? Where was Jesus born? In a palace? No, he was born in a barn, in a cave, to a teenage mom from Nazareth, a no-name, dumpy little place. That stepdad's a carpenter, lives his whole life in poverty, to the point where when he finally is killed, they divide up his garments because that's all he has left. Right? The only thing that they could give to anyone else is the clothes on him, and then he's crucified naked. Goes his whole life bouncing around, staying with different people. This is the God who owns it all. Why would he do that? Why would he live his entire life poor and then die the death of a poor criminal? Why? Did you see it? For your sake. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now now get this, get this. This is not in any way saying that, that Jesus became poor so that you would have lots of money. This is not saying that if you trust in Jesus, you will be wealthy and healthy and always happy. This is not prosperity gospel garbage. Okay, What this is saying is that Jesus died in your place so that you could have true riches. See, the reason we love money is not just because of the money. It's because of what the money gives us. What does the money give us? It gives us security. It gives us power. It gives us approval from people. It gives us comfort. Well, in Christ, you got all those things. You have security, eternal security. Nothing can separate you from His love. You have power because the living God by His Spirit dwells within you. You have approval because the Father in heaven looks on you and says, I am well pleased. And you have comfort because the God of all comfort is with you always. Right, listen. In Christ, you get true riches so that money just becomes money. See, if you don't have that, then what happens is you can't be generous with your money because your your money is your comfort. It is your control. It is your status. It is your identity. You can't let go of that. But Paul says, Jesus has worked it in such a way that it's just money. You have true riches. You have what really matters. So now the money's just money. Can spend it, you can enjoy it, you can give it. It's just money. See, my heart, and I, I, I think God's heart from this passage, is that this kind of generosity would be a way of life for us. That this would not just be what happens during a, during a season like roots, that this would not just be what happens as we give over and above uh, towards land, but that this kind of mentality, this kind of generosity that's voluntary, that's dictated by attitude, not circumstances, that's anchored in a commitment to the Lord, that comes right out of the grace and generosity of Jesus, that that would be how we are all the time. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to live that kind of generous life? I don't know anyone that says, I, my goal in life is to be stingy, and greedy. Yet if we're not careful, we will be. If we aren't focused on the eternal riches we've been given in Christ. So that's what I hope is our way of life. But I want to talk for a few minutes about how this specifically relates to this project we're doing as a church because that is the context we're in. Uh, That is um, one of the main reasons why this particular topic has come up at this time. And so I want to talk about that and I want to just make sure you're clear on it and that we understand um, kind of what we're aiming for. I want to answer some questions that I think are probably on your mind because I've been talking with people about it throughout the week, questions that are on my mind and things that hopefully will be a helpful way to to think this through and apply this idea of generosity specifically to our Roots Project. So for for the next few moments, I'm talking specifically to those of you who would call this your church home. If you're a guest with us, if you're new with us, if you're kicking the tires, would love you to listen in, um, but I'm not necessarily expecting that you respond in the same way as people who would say, no, this is my church family, this is my church home. Uh, for those of you that would say, this is, this is my church home, th- this really matters for you, okay? This, this next chunk, and I want you to, to lean in and, and listen in uh, as we address these things. So let's talk real practically about the goal of this particular project. Our roots goal, financially speaking, is to raise $1.05 million uh, through the end of 2015. So it's a 20-month commitment between now and December 31st, 2015, We'd like to raise $1.05 million. Uh, that will pay for the, the commitment we've made to purchase the land uh, next door, that 10 and a half acres. Also, so you know, I just want to remind you of this. Keep it in front of you. You've already given over $200,000 to that just through your general offerings and some of the overages that came from that. So we're already on a good track, uh, but that's our particular goal. And here's what we're asking. For those of you who are calling this your church home, we're asking that you would prayerfully and joyfully, and after a lot of discussion and conversation and thought, that you would make a commitment to Roots. April 13th will be our Commitment Sunday. That's the last Sunday of this particular series, and what we're asking you to do is to make a 20-month pledge commitment. Some of you will maybe give everything at once. Some of you will budget it and make it kind of spread out over 20 months. Some of you will do a combination of those things. But what we want you to prayerfully consider is, is a total commitment over this next 20 months, and that's what we give you the opportunity to, to make on April 13th. We'll also give you the opportunity that day um, to give, to give a first fruits offering, to um, maybe give an initial gift that just sort of gets the ball rolling, gets your heart engaged in the project um, so that it's not just all about the future but, but an initial uh, gift to get that ball rolling. That's what we're going to ask you to do, and um, we'll continue to give you information about that and how to do that, and and that will be um, something we'll talk about in the coming weeks. We'll be communicating with you. What I want to do from here is I want to answer a couple questions, and I can't get into every question. You can go to gatewayroots.com, and uh, we've got a bunch of frequently asked questions there. We'd love you to talk to your RC leaders or talk to any other leaders, and, and get some of your questions answered. But I want to address three particular questions that I think uh, might be on your mind, and I want to try to answer these as, as helpfully as I can, okay? So here's the first question you might ask. Why should I give to this with all the needs in the world? Couldn't these resources be better used for missions, et cetera? I love that question. I love that question. Because if you're asking that question, here's what it tells me about you. It tells me that you care about God's heart for the nations, which is a big heart. God cares that every tongue and tribe and nation would gather around the throne of Jesus. That's a big deal. It also tells me you care about the least of these. You care about the poor. You care about the marginalized. You care about the under-resourced. And so if you're asking that question, that is a good thing. And so that's that's an important question. Why should I give to this? All right, we're going to spend a million dollars on land. And then we're going to spend millions more building something on that land someday? Why wouldn't we give that away? Why wouldn't we make a difference around the world with that money? And here's what i tell you. Here's here's my answer to that question. It's, It's dangerous to set that up as a false dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy to say, should we invest in the local church or should we invest in the global church? Should we invest in the local church or should we invest in missions? Because the the reason we exist as a church is missions, right? We said a number of weeks ago, when I was telling you kind of the heartbeat vision for this, we said, Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven by which people can be saved. And there are lots of people, lots of people we love in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, where you work out, that don't know Jesus yet. And we want him to know Christ. And we exist to be a place where those people can encounter Jesus. So we are unapologetically on mission as a local church. Now, here's the other reason why I don't accept that, that dualism. I, I think it's a false dichotomy. Is because as a local church, we do unbelievable aspects of mission around the world. Now, we're not great, honestly. One of, our, one of the best-kept secrets of Redemption Church is, is our mission stuff. We, for whatever reason, we have not cracked the code on how to communicate about it. Some of it is it's long-term investment stuff that's making a holistic long-term difference, and it's not a lot of splash that makes you, you know, whatever. And some of it is we just struggle. It feels like self-congratulatory to talk about it and, hey, look at us, and that's not, that doesn't fit our, our culture very well. But, but let me just tell you the kind of impact that you're already making with your regular giving. of everything that's given to Redemption Gateway uh, goes towards outward-focused ministries. 10% of everything that's given across Redemption goes to outward-focused ministries. So Redemption as a whole will give almost $700,000 this year to outward-focused missions, church planting, global work. We will give well over $100,000 toward projects like these. We're invested heavily in Turkey We took a Christmas offering related to that, and and we're committed there to help rescue girls out of sex trafficking and to help do follow-up discipleship with with new Christians and to do church planting work in Turkey. Redemption-wide, we're invested in North Africa, in China, Ghana, Ethiopia, and clearly here in the United States. Let, Let me just tell you some of the partner organizations that we're part of. Disciple the Nations Alliance, which trains indigenous church leaders around the world, Rabat International Church and Gateway Medical Alliance in North Africa, a local church and then a medical clinic that helps people with severe disabilities. Langham Partnership, which trains biblical scholars from third world countries to be able to go back into their countries and, and do academic work. Wind Souls for God is a holistic ministry to street children in Ethiopia. Tenalian Bible Camp reaches untreat- unreached tribes in Alaska. El Puente Center, that's here in West Mesa, it's a community center that does ESL training, job training, after-school programs. International Rescue Committee is an investment we've made, helping refugees in Phoenix rebuild their lives. Hustle Phoenix, which is training minority entrepreneurs in urban Phoenix to start and lead businesses. City Serve Arizona, which networks compassion ministries together and does the Hope Fest down at the ballpark where people receive thousands and thousands of dollars worth of medical care. The Surge Network, which has trained over 100 leaders from 20 churches this year. The Missional Training Center, a new seminary-level theological school we're starting. Redeemer City to City, which is a partnership between our church and Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City to help plant a church in a major global city. And then Arizona 127, which so many of you are connected to. That's the foster care and adoption initiative that we've done that's trained hundreds of people around the valley, uh, over over 40 people from Redemption Church have gone through that process and chosen an agency to do foster care and adoption. You are doing missions work. Can I keep going? You're doing church planning work. Redemption San Francisco is a church plant of ours, a daughter church of ours, that is reaching over 100 people in the urban, hardcore center of San Francisco. We've supported New City Church in downtown Phoenix, Redemption Flagstaff, and Central Church in Tucson, Arizona. So listen, that's the kind of impact you're making all the time. And so here's why I would say we should give to this land and we should keep giving to those things. But giving to this land, here's what happens, is when you make an investment in that land and our church continues to get stronger and more people come and more people when they come a lot of them will give, and you'll actually support more mission work with more money for longer through the local church than if we just took a million dollars and gave it away. Do you, do you get that? I mean, this is a long-term multiplying investment in worldwide impact. It's totally worth it. Here's the second question. This is a, a, a turn, but it's something you're probably asking. I know it's something we have been asking in my family how do I figure out how much I can give? How do I I figure this out? And I I love this question, because if you're asking this question, it means you're invested in the church and you care about this. You're going, okay, I want to give. I want to be involved. I want my heart to follow this treasure and care about this project, but how much? How do I figure that out? It's a great question. And so let me give you five, uh, five ways, five categories that you can begin to think through. If you have a pen, these would be worth writing down, uh, because you're going to be having these conversations, and it would be worth trying to remember uh, how to think some of this through if, if you need that particular help. Here's, here's the first category I'd invite you to think about, is extra money. Now, some, some of you just laugh at that idea, like, boy, wouldn't that be nice, extra money. But... but a lot of people have extra money. And here's what I mean by extra money. Extra money is the money that you spend and it's not really part of your budget. And when you spend it, you don't really miss it. Like if you didn't spend, right, this is the extra three or four coffees a month. This is the, you know, the, the trinket thing when you go to the zoo and, you know, your kid doesn't really need another toy, but hey, what the heck, and we'll do it. And, and those are fine to do, and that's great, whatever, but that might be a category where it's, it's not like it's sacrificial. It's not like it's painful. This is just extra money you have. That might be one category to think about. Second category to think about would be sacrifice. This would be money that you would say, I'm going to sacrifice on a monthly basis or over this 20 months, I'm going to sacrifice in some way to be able to give over and above my regular giving. Right? If, you give, if you just move your regular giving to the roots giving, that doesn't really help. Um, that, we're looking for over and above commitments that are specifically focused on this project. But sacrifice would say, and I'm not saying you do any of these things. I don't have a junior Holy Spirit badge, okay? I'm not telling you what to do. I don't know what to do. Some things I've heard some people talk about doing have been things like, we're going to cut our cable for the next twenty months, or we're going to—I'm going to do the lawn myself, and we'll, you know, get rid of the lawn service for the next twenty months. Or we were going to do this vacation, and now we're going to do this vacation. There might be ways to think about that, but but these would be real sacrifices that you would make, things you would feel, things that would hurt. I was going to go out to eat this many times, announce me this many, and I—I I hate brown bags, and right, I mean, it, it's going to hurt a little bit. That might be another category to think about. Third category to think through would be additional income. And this would be income you don't necessarily expect. This is not part of your regular salary, this is not part of your regular budget, this is extras. These would be things like bonuses, these would be things like uh, tax tax returns, extra work you might do, in my particular case, I have a few different retreats and different things I'm going to speak at over the next 20 months, and, and so that's money I think about. I do some coaching of leaders, and that's a, a revenue source that I'm thinking about that's you know, over and above kind of my normal thing, but, but it's a way to earn more money. Maybe it's selling this boat or selling this crap in your basement, or I shouldn't say that word, sorry, um, <laughs> the stuff in your basement, you know what, whatever that is, but additional income. The fourth thing, the fourth category would be savings. Maybe there's money you've saved, and a portion of that you should give. Again, I don't know, I'm not telling you to do anything. This is all voluntary, but that's a category to think through. Then here's the fifth category. This one really is important, is the spirit. And, and that's just a short way of saying what might God be encouraging you to do? Right, the first four, you can kind of go through and go, do I have extra money? Do I have money I'd sacrifice? Do I have additional income I expect? Do I have things from savings? Right, you, can, you have a pretty clear idea of how that would work. The, the spirit one is the one where you go, God, would you show up in this extra way that I can't expect? God, do I sense that, you know, I was going to give this, but you're calling me to give that? It's that, that spirit of God factor. Now, now here's what I would tell you. If you add up those first four and it comes to like $4,000, it's not helpful if you say, you know what? By the spirit, I am going to give a pledge commitment of $5 million. <laughs> Right? Because I'm just magically going to come up with another $5 million. I mean, God could do it. But that won't help us, okay? Like, we're going to take the pledge numbers and add them up and kind of make some plans based on that, okay? So, so think through those five categories. These are difficult conversations, but they're a helpful uh, place to maybe begin. Another way to think about this is to, to possibly go, what did you give in 2013 to the church? And would there be a way to give that same amount to roots over the next two years. If everyone did that, we would crush our goal. Now, get it, not everyone can do that, but if you're just looking for a number, where do I begin? That might be a place to to think about as well. All right? Here's the last question. The third question I want to answer is this. I'd love to give, but my financial situation is really tight. What if I don't think I can give? And that's a really... That's a really important question. And I imagine that there are some of you that would ask that question. You say you'd love to give, but really this idea is confronting some of your idols. It's confronting some of your security and comfort and approval and power and plans. And and there might be some of you asking that question who the reality is you don't really want to give. And I just, if that's you, I, I would just invite you to go before the Lord, not about this particular project, but about whatever that thing is in your heart that's making it where money's more important than it should be. So that might be some category of people. There might be others of you who would say this, I'd love to give my financial situation is tight, I don't think I can give, who if, if, if you were asked to actually record every expense you make for a month, you might go, oh, I don't think I really want to do that because that would probably reveal that I do have money that I could give. <laughs> I don't, no thanks. Um, so there might be some people who, who feel like that but go, you know, I, I, yeah, if I thought about it, I, I really do have more money than I think. And even if it, to me, doesn't feel like a huge gift, it's a big gift. All right, so, so that's, that's another category. Here's, here's a third category, though, and this is a category of people who your financial situation's a mess, and you feel like, I really don't think I can give. I'm so upside down in debt. Uh, I, I, I'm so backwards in terms of how I arrange this thing. You've mentioned budget. I, what's a budget? <laughs> right? Like, I don't have that, right? And if that's your particular situation, I want to I offer you some help here, okay? Because this, again, this is not about what can we get for the Roots campaign. This is about how can we help you have a lifetime of generosity and a blessing uh, to the church and beyond, okay? So a couple ways that I want to offer you some help. Uh, on your program, in that... On the back of that connection card, there's a box there that you can mark if you'd like to and just drop it in the offering box as you leave that says, I would like to speak with a financial counselor. We have some leaders, some people that we trust, that are godly, that are wise, that understand money, and they would love to be able to have a conversation with you over the phone or in person, uh, something that would help just give you some financial counsel if you, if you have those kinds of questions. The other thing I would encourage you to really consider, if you're in that category of people who your financial house is in such disarray, you don't have any plan, you're up to your eyes in debt, here's the other thing I'd invite you to do. Consider Financial Peace University. If that's you, here's here's what I'd love you to do. Rather than, well, here's what I'd say. Here's what I want you to commit. My my financial situation's a mess. I'm in debt. I got all this. Okay, here's what I want you to commit to roots. Nothing. And instead, I want you to commit $103 to go through Financial Peace University. That'll pay for the class, and it'll pay for the resources for that class. It's a nine-week class, Make a $103 commitment to Financial Peace University, and when that's over, if you want to make a commitment to Roots, great. But get that situation resolved. And that class, I'm telling you, it will help you. Here's how I know. We just finished a class, a nine-week class. Eleven households went through it. It just finished last Monday. Eleven households, nine weeks, cut up 24 credit cards, paid off almost $68,000 in non-mortgage debt, and saved almost $33,000 in cash in nine weeks, right? And none of them drove up in a Maserati. Like, these are regular people who just, is that amazing? That's incredible. That's a that's $100,000 swing in nine weeks. Now, do you think those people are set up on a path toward living a life of generosity? More than they were 10 weeks ago? Yes. So if this is your situation, do that. If you even go, I don't know if I can do the $103, then let's talk. We'll make that work. We're committed to you having a long-term life of faithfulness and generosity and stewardship. Now listen, there's, there's one last category of people who would ask this question. And those are you who really are faithful stewards. You do budget. You do give generously and sacrificially. You keep track of things. You haven't made a bunch of mistakes. But you've come on hard times for whatever reason. And and if that's you, I just want to tell you, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you this roots thing, we don't want it to be a burden to you. Let us carry that burden for you. There are enough other people who should be able to shoulder this. Figure out what you can give, invest something so just that your heart can be involved in it, but don't feel burdened or discouraged or defeated, like, oh, I can't be part of this. No, we don't want that at all. So those are some questions you might be asking, but I I just want to finish by just trying to share a little bit of what my situation and my circumstance has been going through this, and just talk a little autobiographically, a uh, little bit from the heart, just kind of share with you what's, what this has been like for me. I'm going to sit down. I'm tired of standing today. Um, we, uh, we've been going through this just like you, my family. we um, We feel a real commitment that as a leader in the church, as an elder in the church, that I should be leading the way in this commitment, in this campaign. One of the questions that's been on my mind and that Molly and I have been asking is if everyone gave with the same level of sacrifice that we're giving, would we hit the goal? And I can tell you that the answer to that question is yes. We're in, we're giving, we're making a big commitment. It's going to stretch us. But getting there has been really hard. See, you know, Molly keeps more of the details of, of our finances. She has a math degree, so she should do that. Um, I, I did it for the first six months of our marriage and was like, this is dumb. You should do this. And, um, and so, you know, we've had, we've had some really interesting talks as I go, Ah, oh, yeah, let's, you know, and I, you know, I'm going, let's do, you know, big, generous, you know, and, and she wants, she's totally generous, right? Like she's, she's committed. One of the things we do is every year we increase our giving a percentage and she's committed to that and she's incredibly generous, but she's also watching the details of things more than I am. And so we've had some really interesting conversations, partly because we've got some goals as a family, We've got some financial things that we care about, right? We, we have all the bills that everyone else has, but then we also have some goals. So we've decided, you know, we want to save a certain amount to try to build an emergency fund that's kind of at the level that it should be at. Uh, we have daughters with very crooked teeth. They're going to need braces. We're saving that. Now, braces may not be your thing, but it's our thing, and I think it'll be the thing for their future husbands. Um, so... So that's important. We're trying to save toward that. Um, we're trying to save toward a car, right? We, both our cars are paid off, but we know at some point our car is going to break, and we, we're going to need a new car, and it'd be great to not go into debt for that, and so we're trying to save a certain... I, I mean, I don't need to go through all of those things, but, but all of these financial goals are real goals for good things that matter. And in order for us to give generously to roots, it impacts those goals. Right? Like, what I wanted to do, what I found out through this process is I want to give really generously without sacrificing. And that's not, that's not one of the choices. That's not, that's not how it works. And so what we've had to do is go, okay, this goal was here, and now it's here, and this goal was here, and now it's here, and this goal was here, and now it's gone. And, and especially in Molly's particular case, the the way her heart just is, has rallied around this is to go, I'm trusting the Lord for those things. This is stretching my faith muscles. And, and wouldn't it be cool to see God provide not just for our ability to give to roots, but to give toward these other things in ways beyond what we expect. And it's an act of faith and an act of trust and it's growing us. And I just share that with you just to know, like, that's how most of us are going to process this. I, we don't have a pot of money laying around that we can't figure out what to do with so it requires those kinds of hard conversations, and and I'm in that with you. Then the last thing I just would say is this, is uh, God has always, always, from day one, God has always given this church more than we needed. Now, I don't presume on him that he has to do that. I don't feel entitled for God to do that, but God has done that all along the way. And I, in my heart of hearts, as I seek to trust God, I believe he'll do that again. And so listen, from the bottom of my heart, I hope you'll give to this because I know that your heart follows your treasure and I want your heart to be invested in our future, but I don't care. I don't care if you give. From the standpoint of like, I don't get a commission. I don't... I don't get my name in lights. Luke Simmons raised a million dollars. Whatever. I didn't do that. This is, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you and your relationship with the Lord. But I trust him to figure that out. I trust him to meet our needs. I don't need to squeeze you. I don't need to make you feel bad. I don't need to throw the guilt on thick. I don't want you walking around like going, does he know what I'm, you know, like, I don't care. And I'm not saying I don't, do do you get what I'm saying? saying, it's between you and the Lord. I hope you'll give, but if you don't, don't. If you don't want to, don't. Fine. That's really okay. God will meet our needs because God is a God of abundant generosity, and we have all we really need in Him. Let's pray. God, thank you for moments like this to, to think about the future and to talk about How generous you've been to us in the past. God, I pray that it would lead us to respond to you with generosity now. God, thank you that you're gracious. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have given your son Jesus, who became poor on our behalf. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to celebrate the generosity of God, and we do that every week through the celebrating of communion. In a few moments, the ushers will come and they'll pass out bread and and juice representing the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And, and, And it's just a great symbol of how Jesus became poor for us. He laid it all on the line. Jesus died so that we could feast. That's kind of what communion's about. And so if you're a follower of Christ, when that tray comes by you, we would invite you to take the bread and take the cup and to pray and to rejoice in God and to take communion whenever your heart feels right you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, we're so glad you're here. And uh, I, I hope you'll be encouraged. But we don't want you to feel a pressure that you need to participate in communion. This is a celebration for those who would say they're following Jesus. And so if you're not there yet, that's okay. Just let it pass by and take this time to think and to reflect and to pray. Once everybody's served, the band will lead us and we'll respond and we'll sing about how God is gracious. But for now, take these elements, hold them till your heart's prepared. And then eat and drink. Ushers you may come for.